Welcome to FESD Family Life, the podcast for families by families, where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of three with FASD. I know the struggle is real, and so is success. I hope that by sharing my experiences and my FASD education with you, you will find hope for you and your family. On this podcast, we talk about family life. We talk about raising children, youth, adults who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. We talk about trauma and attachment. We also talk about resiliency, hope, strategies for success, interventions that can transform your family life. We also talk about supports and services. And in this research and resources edition of the FASD Family Life Podcast, I'm very pleased to bring you information about the Aloha Community Playetteville. This is a community living situation for people living with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder located in Playetteville. The Aloha Community Playetteville is the first community of its kind where young adults with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder are able to live in an interdependent fashion with productive lives under the guidance of experienced coaches. My guest today is Gigi Davidson, founder and president of Aloha Communities Playetteville, which is run by FASD Communities. Gigi Davidson is a parent of a young adult who has FASD, and she presently resides in Hawaii. So I invite you to settle in with a nice hot cup of coffee with me as we learn about this unique housing model for adults who have FASD, a model that can be replicated. Tune in now with me to Gigi as she tells us all about it. Aloha, my name is Gigi Davidson. I am the founder of FASD Communities, uh, whose mission is to create communities for young adults with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder to help them become contributing members of their community. Uh, What it looked like in my mind and in practice is small group homes where the residents become a family and live and interact with each other in a supportive Uh, supervised environment. Um, We started with a group of parents from across the U.S. Uh, We called it a task force, and we all knew that our kids were going to outlive us, in theory, Um, and we knew that they needed a a protective safe haven when we weren't around. Um, So we did a lot of investigating into programs for disabled people that were already in existence, adults, Um, wanting to not start everything from scratch, but to tweak the model specifically for FASD. Um, We ended up um, in Wisconsin because in the beginning, the core of our group was from the Midwest. And there were some people like Jody Culp and Ann Yurchuk that had had an eye on a house um, near Platteville that was 10 bedrooms and something. And we actually bid on that house and thank God we didn't get it. But um, so that's how we ended up there. I happen to be, have been born and raised in Wisconsin. So I, it enables me to come back and visit my parents and also to go to um, visit our home in Platteville at the, on the same trip. Um, we have now been up and running for four years. Um, we, it took us, Oh, gosh, it took us a while from inception of our nonprofit, which was 2010, we uh, and doing all the investigation and fundraising, basically, um, we purchased the house in 2016. Our first residents moved in 
maybe, I think we purchased it in June of 2016. I think maybe our first residents moved in in, gosh, it must have been 18 because, must have been 18. Um, we had, and we have four residents living there that have been there pretty much from the inception. Three moved in really close to each other and one took a, a little bit longer um, to get Medicaid approved. Um, what it looks like is it's a five bedroom house on four and a half acres of land. Um, we had hoped to do small kind of growing our own vegetables and that kind of thing and having small animals. We have some chickens and some rabbits and a donkey named Jeffrey. Um, our gardens have been the Charlie Brown gardens. They grow, uh, they end up with more weeds than anything else. Uh, the girls have a high enthusiasm in the beginning, and then it wanes pretty quickly, and they don't like weeding. Um, I think part of the problem is that you need a staff member who's really into gardening and growing things to help motivate them, and we don't really have one of those. Um, I've thought of, I always try to think of other side businesses that maybe could help support our operation and that they could do. Um, but I've also realized that you have to have, it has to come from the residents and the staff, because if you don't have their buy-in, no matter what you choose, it's not going to work eventually. Um, our girls to run our home um, correctly. We have 15 staff that cover the clock 24 seven Currently, we only have 12 because the employment market is really horrible. Um, but they they rotate around the clock. Uh, they have mostly three on during the day time hours. And there's three shifts and there's one on at the sleeping hours. Um, we, our girls do tons of stuff in the community, tons of volunteer work. Um, they participate in the farmer's market every other week. Uh, every week is too stressful for them. Um, and they do a lot of baked goods. They have to package them, list the ingredients, price them, uh, sell them, keep track of them. They also create a lot of crafty items that they sell. And I think they're very much feeling a part of the community and they like the community. Uh, one girl goes horseback riding and I think volunteers a little bit at the stables. Another girl works at an animal animal rescue place. Um, there is a FASD, she's about 12 year old in Platteville with a mother that is kind of disabled and in a wheelchair herself. So they go and help that girl sometimes um, or that mother a little bit. Um, they help serve meals once a month to disabled people. They do some work with some churches. We, we try and get them to do a lot of volunteering. One of them works at the thrift store. Um, but as you know, um, we can't just take her and drop her at the thrift store to do her shift. A staff needs to go with her and accompany her because she would, wouldn't be afraid to get in a car with a stranger and go or take money out of the till. So that's why it's pretty staff intensive that we've got kids going in different directions at different times. And some of them are required line of sight supervision um, for their Medicaid um, programs. So um, it is definitely playing out how I had envisioned it. 
Um, the girls will tell you if you ask, we're not a group home, we're a family. Um, they also are very, when I visit, they're very good about, um, they, they understand each other and they know each other and they support each other um, in that if somebody's having a bad day or a meltdown or anxious, someone else might step in and do a chore for them and trade. But that, that being said, they also have their spats with each other that would happen in any family. Um, so it's not, you know, they're, they're, they definitely have that. Um, they um, sometimes are frustrating to some of our staff. We've worked a lot on um, teaching, training our staff about FASD. Um, we had some well-known people come in in the beginning and we all know that our, our girls are our best teachers, basically. Um, and, it change, and it changes every day. And I think that, as you said earlier, you know, parents have been in this a long time and it takes a long time to really get it. You can't do this in a year or two with staff. It takes them a long time to really get it. However, I do think um, we have quite a few of our staff that are really good. So um, one of them used to work in the corrections facility and has an autistic son herself. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, our overall manager has uh, has fostered many children throughout his life, something like 20. So he's obviously got a big heart. Um, uh, it is challenging maintaining staff at the moment and or hiring new ones at the moment, which is very frustrating. Um, and I receive two or three calls a week from parents in distress that have their kid in a facility right now. He's going to turn 18. He's going to get kicked out when he's 18. He has nowhere to go. They can't have him at home. He's he's dangerous to other siblings or whatever. And it's just so sad. I I, I really want to open more homes, um, but it's a funding issue. And uh, we have a list of 20 people right now, but I would do a few things differently in round two. Um, I'm hoping to have a model where four parent, four or five parents, depending on what state and the, and the laws, could purchase a home together by themselves and own shares. So if it didn't work out, somebody could they could sell their shares and someone else could buy them. Um, that would take some of the fundraising off of me. Um, I'd like to ask a question there. Okay, uh, I was, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so if the parents, like let's say four parents, have, four or five parents bought a home together, would that be something like a co-op housing? I think that would, would that be the model perhaps? Uh, where I, I don't exactly know what you mean by co-op housing, but, um, I, and I haven't, it's kind of in my mind, I don't know the details, but I would envision that although they would have ownership, they they probably wouldn't live nearby. So um, all the we, parents are nodding. All the parents who are listening are nodding. Yes, no, we don't live on the same street. We don't live nearby. Um, I was going to ask you too, for the home you have, like I, I understand like you've got that cost of the home and the land and the animals and, and but, but the most intensive cost would be staffing. The most intensive cost is staffing, and it takes up about 85% of our budget. And I was going to ask you, what is the budget? What's the annual budget for that home? It's about 450000 in that. Okay. Okay. Um, and 85% of it is staffing. 
and the step and mostly that's paid for by the Medicaid um, payments, but there's a large chunk that they don't pay for. And that is you would have in running any house. Um, there's insurance, there's liability, there's uh, workman's comp insurance, there's repairs, there's constant repairs in any home. Um, there's automobile, there's gasoline. So it's all those extra things that are not very sexy that we have to fundraise for. Um, and so we do it. We've, we've gotten by and there's a few things I would probably do differently in the next home. I would try and get parents to contribute in some way, shape or form. Uh, I haven't determined what it will be, but a monetary, you know, if somebody paid $500 a month, that would help us big time with four people. Um, and it would be that much less fundraising for us, which is nobody's favorite thing. <laughs> so that maybe there would be parents who buy the home and it might be their kids then that live in that home, or maybe there would be an additional child or adult who lives in that home. And so in addition to like these mortgage payments, we would be thinking there'd also be uh, an additional $500 or something. Actually, what I'm really hoping is that they would buy the home outright and there wouldn't be a mortgage payment. However, if someone couldn't afford it, maybe they could elect to take out a partial mortgage. It could go in many directions. Let's take a quick break. Hey, my name is Oscar and I'm the host of the Potter Discussion Podcast. The Potter Discussion is the ultimate Harry Potter podcast, discussing everything from Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and the entire Wizarding World fandom. This isn't your everyday Harry Potter podcast, because we have regular, in-depth discussions about obscure and fascinating topics. So if you enjoy in-depth character breakdowns, Harry Potter quizzes, and you're a Harry Potter super fan, this podcast is for you. Search for The Potter Discussion Podcast in your favorite podcast app, or click the link to learn more. really fascinating, Gigi, that your four residents have been there since approximately 2018. So right near the beginning. And so we're four years on now, it's 2022, and they're still there. So that's really, that provides a lot of stability. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that there hasn't been kind of a, you know, a disruption there. So that's a real well, testament to the home. I think it is. And I think their parents are super happy that People, they're with kind, caring staff that is understanding them and really working with them. And their parents have made the comments, we need to make this their forever home. So in my mind, it is their forever home. If we're, you know, capable of getting them to move out on their own and have the skill set to be able to do that, that would be wonderful. But in reality, I don't see that happening to any of our four. Um, not because they're not smart, but just they need that they need that over, that oversight and that external brain helping them. Well, that's right. We know that so many people who have FASD still have a a normal IQ, or the IQ range can can vary tremendously from to low to exceedingly high. Um, and those who have the average to higher average, maybe IQ. Um, it's still not accurately reflective of what their living skills are. And, and that's deceptive. And that's the part that gets in the way or inhibits them from getting services or funding from the government. Is totally. that, 
Yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, my girls are 17 now. And so I'm getting ready to that transition from child services to adult services. And because their IQ is in the low average range, it's like, well, no, I'm like, but low average and poor adaptive skills. This is a person who's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. In the U.S., is there federal or state funding that supports this project? This project has been, each of our residents comes with Medicaid funding. Uh, we couldn't do it without that. Um, and so it, and I think from my understanding is it gets filtered from the feds to the state to various care providers. And we contract with a care provider. And uh, there's different degrees of funding levels I think tier one or tier two, and it's dictated, I think, by the legislation in each state. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure the amount must be pretty similar no matter what state you're in. Um, it can't be drastically different, although maybe they make cost of living adjustments depending on where, but I don't even know if they do that. Um, and they, the care providers come and visit us every six months and go through the care plan and Boy, we have to document everything and set up some goals and make progress. And I feel like we always have to justify the need for the funding, but they see what we do and they know it's working. So they're pretty happy with us. Um, the other, the flip side of that coin is they have a, a hell of a lot of turnover in staff themselves. So we're always training new people. There's so much turnover in whether it's a social worker or Medicaid staff or whatever, disability support services that, and, and these new, new people come into the job and they may not have ever heard of FASD before. Yeah. And so you get to start all over again, not only educating them about FASD, but why this home is important. And yeah, I know our goal isn't that our kid, that our young people are going to mature and gain skills and move out. No, 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 that's not the goal. The goal is safe safe, long-term housing, we're creating a family, not an institution. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, the, the buzzwords are independence and our kids need interdependence. Um, And that's really hard for people to understand, you know, like it it just is, what can I say? It absolutely is. Uh, Yeah. Like the, whether you're, whether you still have children in school and they're talking IEPs or you have children that are getting older and we're like independence, even if it's a preschooler and we're talking about independence, you know, now they're five, they should be able to tie their shoe. And I I feel like, especially once they turn 18, it's like the magic thing. And they basically fall off a cliff because there's nothing available to them, but everybody expects independence and you can go, get a job, you can rent an apartment, whatever. And our kids are so far from that because they function at much, uh, much lower age level, you know? So oftentimes half that age, you know, so yeah. you're, you have an 18 year old that maybe can talk a good game. Like I yeah. know that a lot of times individuals with FASD sound a lot better than they are, for sure, but their for comprehension sure. is much lower and their ability to um, make goals, follow goals, um, social, emotional relationships. So Just often remember, half, they can't remember things. <laughs> can't remember anything. Yeah. But the social emotional skill level is half their age. Yeah. So you're, would you really ask a nine-year-old half, half of 18, would you really ask a nine-year-old to be independent? God, no, you'd still be there protecting and guiding and, and making sure they're okay. And that's what we still need to be doing. Yep. Totally. So I, I really hope we can replicate our model. It's a money thing. I'm also realistic. There's only so much I can take on by myself. So I'm really pushing these these group of parents that 
they need to be helpful and they need to be doing helping me do some of the work. I'm not going to just do it all on my own how I did this one because there's only so many hours in my day. Well, exactly. And you yourself are a parent of an individual with FASD. And so that's, that's also part of a drain on your energies and your time. Um, So that's, that's another component of it, but you only have, there's only so much of Gigi to go around. I I have a plan. If, if someone gave us a lot of money, some nice philanthropist, I know who I'd hire to open more. And I know, you know, I I, I have a plan and, and I really feel like we need to open more. And initially I, I thought, well, we should open one in every state. Um, but, you know, I think, I don't know that I would say the next one will be in Wisconsin, but I think it might be in Wisconsin because we kind of have the wheels greased there and they know us and they like us. And that was probably easier than starting from ground zero and educating everybody along the way. Agreed. So let's talk about the next dream. What would the next model be? If if Gigi had all the money, what would happen next? If I for just one home or multiple? Well, let's start. Let's be realistic. <laughs> I think the next one would be a men's home because we have about a waiting list right now of twenty, and the majority are men, um, young men. And um, I think the next one would be and. Maybe in the same county we're in because that county happens to have money, um, but not not too close to our house, not next door or anything like that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, of course, you wouldn't even want them to know where each other is. No, I get that. How would the men's home be different in terms of maybe structure or the kind of uh, work the men might be doing? Um, well, I think... Um, one thing would be different is with it, we would need more male staff because physically they're stronger and that might come into play. Um, I know from other people that boys or men are more physical. They might punch a hole through the wall and you can fix it and the girls hold on to things for much longer. So um, I think it's just a different thing. I don't know. I don't know if we... I don't even know that we've even had, other than our overall manager, that we've ever even had a male apply for our job. So that could come into play. And, and it's, you know, and there are some tough females that could do it, I'm sure. Um, but, and as far as maybe, um, well, it depends, like maybe a bigger kind of farming component or more animals. I think animals are so good for our kids. Um I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I haven't thought about that. It would be very different. I think like what's working is really working. I I can't see guys sitting around doing crafts. So, you know, that, that part would have to be different. And I don't, you might get some guys that are interested in cooking. One of our girls really likes to bake and cook. Um, But, you know, I don't know if that's a stereotype that's right or wrong, you know, because there are many men chefs in the world. Absolutely. And every person irrespective of if they have FASD, has their own unique sets of interests and skills and ability and challenges. And certainly um, I know of individuals who have FASD who are men and are wonderful cooks. One of my friends um, has FASD and he he makes these wonderful meals. He posts them on social media. And I'm like, 
I'm coming for dinner because like I couldn't even make anything that good, <laughs> you know, and then there's others. So it's not about the gender, but yeah, what are the interests? And, and certainly I think you're right. Um, I mean, you, you raised a son, I'm raising a son. We know that physicality is a big part of our boys and keeping them more emotionally regulated. Yeah. And I think animals keep, are a big part of that too. I think if you can keep them more, more physical, you're, you're accomplishing a lot because you can tire them out. Your their energies are going to something that's productive, that kind of thing. So, um, but we'll see. But it depends on the it depends on the kid, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you're saying so this home has been up and running for four years already. Congratulations, that's amazing. Um, yeah, we're, and you, we're, we're thinking of a five year bash some next year. Uh, yeah. We have to do something to celebrate big time, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's and it, I mean, it's an amazing success you've had that that some of the staff have stayed uh for a longer period of time. It's amazing that the residents have stayed for such a long period of time. It is amazing in time. But you know I feel like they're really, very happy. You know obviously, uh, obviously. Yeah. Um so you said you had a model that was that is ready to be replicated. So if somebody had the money, do you have like, what would you give to that person? Like, how would you set them up for the next, if they wanted to launch, let's say in North Carolina, they wanted to. Um, well, I would, I would be willing to help them. I don't know, help them. It, it could be an offshoot of FASD communities or not. They could form their own nonprofit. I mean, I'm willing to do it and, and, help set them up with the management and hire the people and, and try, and we have policies and procedures and all that in place. I'm willing to share all that stuff. Um, it would be nice to maybe do it on a consultative consultative basis where we would get a little bit of money from, from doing it um, that would help support our organization also. But then again, when someone's starting out new, they don't have any money. <laughs> you know, so. Jeff Bezos, where are you, man? We need you. <laughs> Somebody like that would be really good. I'm waiting for one of those. <laughs> um, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So what's the one thing you're most proud of for FASD communities? Um, that, that everybody's happy where we are and it's working how I envisioned it to work. Um, I always thought that it would be kind of like they were a member of the same club. They'd all be a little bit different, but they have a little bit of commonality. And it's, it's working. I feel like I we have a good staff. We I really like I'm going to visit them this Sunday, and I bought them a bunch of goodies from Honolulu. I always bring them things when I come to give them, and they'll be excited about them. Um, and when I'm going to plant the seed of, can you guys sell? shave ice or snow cones at the farmer's market i bought them a little machine from amazon and i'm gonna on sunday i'm gonna say hey guys i got you a present let's let's make snow cones today you know and and then i'm gonna have someone else say gosh you can still the farmer's market maybe you should do that too and they're gonna go that's a good idea so you know that's how i'm gonna get their buy-in i hope Um, and i love that that's wisdom that we as moms acquire over the decades is it you know a direct idea is going to fall flat on the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have to, I always like think of it as like coming alongside and if we can kind of come alongside and like lead the conversation a little bit, but once it, once we can either, either convey the fact that we're all on the same team and we're working on this together yeah. or be able to drop some hints that, and it becomes 
the individual's idea, that's when we get some traction. Oh, I think it might work. We'll see. I think it will. I think it will. And, I think it and, has a high probability. And then and the sugary, and they're going to like it too. Well, and that's something you know they can. It's not too hard. They can you know they can do that, and it'll be unique to the to the area. So I think it'll. It's a college town, so in the summer I think it'll sell well. I don't. If I knew then what I know now, how would you finish that sentence? If I knew then what I would do now, I would. Um, I would ensure the the parents had some sort of commitment to either helping financially or helping with fundraising. So like give or get kind of thing. Um, that makes sense. And then, so more buy-in, more support. Because it, I feel like they they gain a lot from this. Um, and our current parents, they got off easy. You know, they, they, they don't contribute much of anything. They have a small $150 a month activities fee, um, which, you know, that's nothing if to have your kids somewhere, Yeah, you know, absolutely. Considering absolutely. they don't pay for the Medicaid funding, they, they could all afford more than that for sure. You know? But it's hard. Maybe that's something that can be brought into the new agreement, this new annual agreement. It, it, will, that- it will definitely be brought into the next model. Trust me. Um, it, and, and it has to be couched in a roundabout way because we can't, jeopardize any Medicaid funding at all. So, you know, something like a volunteer, either you volunteer or there's a volunteer deposit, there's a volunteer fee. So it's like one thing. Or Whatever. Other. I don't know. Or, interesting. Seeing what we'll call it, but um, we'll figure it out for sure. Can I just ask you personally how that came about? I mean, you were from Wisconsin and now you reside yeah. in Hawaii and I'm asking you, cause this is my dream. I'm a snowbird. I want to live where it's warm. How did this happen? Now, I went when my, I, my, I just finished graduate school in December and my dad was going to Hawaii on a business trip and asked me if I wanted to go. I was the only one that hadn't gone with him already. And I got there and I'm a very outdoorsy person. And I'm like, and, and I actually, when I, I wanted to go work in Europe, but um, Hawaii felt kind of like a foreign country in the, in that it would, has a very diverse population compared to growing up in Milwaukee at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it felt almost like a foreign country, even though it's not. Um, and it, I, I love the ocean. I love hiking. And I'm like, I'm going to stay here and find a job. And I did. So um, that's how I got there. And my dad also told me, oh, you can never do this group home from Hawaii. I'm like, you want to bag a bet? Watch me. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course you can. I mean, the world is so different now. We, yeah. Everything's just a screen away. Like you and I were in different countries and we're talking and there's not, there's no way, nothing to stop us. There's no boundaries. So right. no, things are possible. That's, yeah. that gives me hope because I'm always like, I'm going to go live in Mexico or I'm going to go live in Hawaii or I'm going to go live somewhere warm because you're from Milwaukee. It's cold there. The winters are long and cold and hard. I got off the plane the other day and it's gray. And I'm like, yep, this is why I don't live here. This is bad, you know? And then it was drizzly and cold in the thirties yesterday. I'm like, no, thank you. I made the right decision many years ago. (laughs) Well, you know what? Here I am in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So far more West and North of you. And we had a heavy snowfall warning on April 19th. Yeah, it happens. It happens. happens. And it's like, it was snowing the day that I was on the plane. I need an exit strategy. (laughs) Just got to do it. (laughs) 
probably. I hope I, I hope I will. You know, but, but it, you know, was, I was young at that time, so I was probably more game to do it than I would have been like to pack up and do it right now, you know. But it also depends on how and where our kids land as well, yeah. doesn't it? As to what 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 the next move would be. Yeah. Gigi, what would be your parting words? to the community of families who are raising kids with FASD. And a lot of them do dread and worry about what comes after, like what comes in adulthood, because sometimes we find in the adolescence time, we find that maybe family life is gets to be untenable. It becomes untenable. Um, I think that's a normal progression. They see their peers going out into the world and they want that independence and they don't realize, or they don't want to realize they can't handle it. Um, And it, it, it's, yeah, it becomes untenable. Uh, there's a point where it doesn't, it, you can't act as a parent anymore because it doesn't work, you know? Um, I guess hang in for the long run. That's what we all have to do. Um, I don't want to say there's not hope out there. There, you know, we're working hard on making it happen. I think that the best way to, to is that we all got to work on building awareness of this um, and getting it understood in our communities with everybody and therefore bringing more money to, to treatment and to interventions. And like, I really fight for the families that are living and breathing it and the people that are living with it because there's no help for them, you know, and they don't deserve that. They, they, our, our country needs to support them. So I hope the FASD respect happens, act happens and we're working on creating an executive order, um, which may or may not work, but we're going to focus on those that are living and breathing it. And we're going to call it a, it's a crisis. It is a crisis. It is an absolute crisis. It's it, it absolutely is. We know what is it? 5% of the U S population has FASD yeah. conservatively conservative estimate that 5% of the U S population that is like 17 and a half million people. This yeah. is huge. And it's, it's more than two and a half times the number of people who have autism and autism yeah. community has been able to rally and create federal awareness and state awareness and, and funding. And do they have enough? Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. And they're still always fighting an uphill battle. We have yeah. even less awareness and less support. So, and we are more people. We, so families. It's and, crazy. It's crazy. It's, it makes it's, no it's sense. ridiculous. Yeah. And I, well, can never, I can never reconcile that fact in my mind. I just, it's so unfair and it's so wrong. Um, but that's why we have to keep fighting. And I hope people will keep fighting and not give up because we got, we still have a long way to go. We do. We do. Well, Gigi, thank you for fighting. Thank you for having this dream for this FASD community and making that happen. I celebrate with you. The FASD community has come together the way you envisioned it. That's beautiful. Thank you. No, I, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm happy about it. And I just, I don't know. I wish there were people that like, we just have to find some more philanthropists that, that we have to sell them on our, what we're doing. And then we can create more houses because I'm sure they're out there and I'm sure they don't understand. And, you know, it's just, we just got to all keep working on building awareness. I think we have to be willing to stand up and fight too and tell our stories. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're tough stories to tell, we still need to tell them because the successes aren't going to get us money. Well, that that's true. That's true. Yeah. And and we need to hear as families, we need to hear about success and we need to hear that there's hope and there is, um, but this is a lifelong disability. So this little one that you're raising right now will continue to have a brain injury, will continue to require intensive services 
Um, even as you age and become less able to meet those demands, this person will gain skills, will yeah. gain abilities, and will continue to also have a brain injury. That's going to impact them their whole life. So we, there are, there is hope and there's work to be done. Right. So I want to thank you for your time. That's really nice of you to interview me. And um, it's gosh. been my pleasure. Thank you for coming on FASD Family Life to talk about this. I look forward to watching what happens with the FASD communities. And um, I just really hope that FASD Respect Act goes through because that will really thank help you. you. Thank you for staying with me through that episode. And I really appreciated the time that I had there with Gigi to learn about the FASD communities and particularly the Aloha community in Playetteville. Uh, we need more advocates. We need more people who are going to write to their congressmen, to write to their politicians, both federally and, and state level. And we need philanthropists. So we really all have to do our part to raise awareness of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as a whole body disability that requires lifelong support. If you're not quite sure how to do that, I encourage you to, to check out the websites CANFASD, which is the Canadian FASD Research Network. They have a lot of resources there for families in Canada and around the world to connect with as to how to raise awareness of FASD, how to use common language so that we get a common unified message across. Also, there is the FASD Respect Act that is being worked on in the United States. Families and advocates there are trying to contact their congresspeople and to get that bill passed in the United States. I'll put a link to the U.S. FASD Respect Act and to FASD United as well as Can FASD as resources for you. And there's many others. In Australia, they already have a national policy for FASD. We all can't do everything, but we all can do something. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Do something. Share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Write a letter to your congressperson or to your member of parliament. Help us. Join arms with us and help us take a step forward to not only raise awareness of FASD, but build in the infrastructure, the structure, the support, the services, the diagnostic capacities for the millions of people in the U.S. and Canada and indeed around the world who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. If you have a question that you're struggling with, a concern about your loved one with FASD, I encourage you to write to me at FASDFamilyLife at gmail.com or message me on Facebook under Robbie Seal. I'll do my best to answer your question and share uh, whatever resources I'm aware of with you so that you can find the help and the support you need where you are. If you're looking for a community, uh, an opportunity to get to know other parents who are raising children or youth with FASD, a place where it's safe to talk about some hard things, and maybe to get some ideas and a few laughs from some other parents who understand, I welcome you to join the FASD Family Life Community. It's a membership-based community, only $10 a month, and we meet monthly to share, to support, to talk, to brainstorm, and to laugh because we need to uh, have some joy along the journey as well. Our next meeting is July 12th. If you would like to join the community before then, please send me a message again on Facebook or email. And I look forward to connecting with you there. As always, thank you for spending your time with me. I know it's precious. And until next time, remember the struggle is real and so is success.